Psalm 18. And it's following on the heels of Psalm 16 and 17, which Psalm 16, we saw the wonderful promise of Jesus that is to come, that Jesus was not going to see corruption and that he was going to be dead three days and three nights as we have that accord. But it was not going to be that he was going to be like Lazarus. Lazarus, the difference between his death and the death of Jesus was Lazarus surely by that point had begun to stink. Lazarus at that point had began to see corruption. But Jesus was resurrected on the third day. A lot of times in Jewish history there is a big notion there that on the fourth day is when the body began to see corruption. But the fact that Jesus was raised on the third day brings about another note. That he did not let his suffering servant see corruption. Though he had suffered all manner of things, truly he was the triumph of Christ. Truly he was the one that had fulfilled this. And Peter proclaims it on the day of Pentecost that this is the Jesus that King David has talked to you about and not only is this the Jesus but he also continued in Psalm 17 by saying that he also one day we shall be in his likeness and that verse 15 just a wonderful verse as for me I will behold thy face in righteousness I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Beloved, many people have different beliefs about how we're going to wake up on the other side, how everything's going to be, and you know what? We can have those discussions and everything. All I know is that I don't know yet what I shall be, but I know this, that I shall be like him and that we shall be like him. And I know that we're just going to be in his presence. All of these other things. There are many discussions that can be had, but praise God, we know that these things are going to be finally true of us. But there's a lot of life to live in the in-between. There's a lot of life to live that we in this present age should be being more ever conformed to his will. We should know the true realities of Psalm 17, much of them in our lifetime, that he is making us more like himself day by day. It should not be something that just then we get saved and then we live any way we want, but no, he is making us more like himself. He is making us to live as the fulfillment of these psalms, that yes, we sing these wonderful songs, but it ought to be that we are living the present realities of these psalms as well, even as we know that our hope is in Christ Jesus, as we find in Psalm 16. Again, all of this to kind of get our minds set for what is in Psalm 18. You may be glad to know, I don't plan on being long-winded this morning, and I really don't plan on being. Now, if the Lord takes over in a different way, okay, we'll do that. We've had that happen many times. But this morning, I, I less, yesterday I was discouraged. Yesterday I was just... I couldn't get it together. I couldn't get anything to come together. I have a note sheet. I have a discipline. I have a plan of action that we go about and study. And I recommend that. I think there is a good plan and a healthy plan of study. Don't think that's bad. All the same, it kept failing yesterday. And lo and behold, we were over at Miss Tara's dad's yesterday. And I got to sit down for a little while. I was scrolling through social media. And uh, my good friend, even though I've never met him, H.B. Charles Jr., I'm going to celebrate with him in glory one day. I got to read something he posted. And he said, when exegesis fails, just praise him. And y'all, that just picked up my spirits immensely. When he said, when exegesis fails, which just means trying to understand the text in light of what the text actually says instead of trying to understand my application of it and that application of it, just trying to understand what is this text saying that's ultimately what exegesis is. He said, when it fails, just praise him. I don't have a special sermon outline. I don't have any of these things. I don't have a title to all of this. But beloved, what we are about to read is one of the most beautiful psalms in all of the psalms. And I would say that about any 150 of them. But this one just seems a little bit extra special. When in a little bit, we're going to put some more context. But this morning, let us read together Psalm 1-8. Psalm 1-8. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, 
who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by him. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Verse 14. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. And he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of the many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. And I did not put away his statutes from me. I also, I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt shew thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt shew thyself pure, and with froward, thou wilt shew thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him.
For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Though thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me, and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the beauty that is contained in Psalm 18, the depths of which none of us could sit here for a lifetime in mind. But, Father, how unexpectedly we look toward the day of eternity we shall be with you in all of eternity for it shall never end and we shall truly be able to begin to understand and we shall be able to glorify you for all of eternity the fact of every truth that is communicated in this blessed psalm of God. Lord we just thank you we're humbled by the fact we even so much as get to read it together this morning oh God. We thank you for that you've preserved a copy of your word unto our generation that we may read it, that we may study it, that we may believe in it, that we may be changed and transformed by and proclaim it to another that they too may witness the same as we've been able to witness about. May we be faithful servants always of God. Lord, we just pray that you bless this hearing of your word of God. Lord, that you would draw somebody that's never been born again. God, that you would draw somebody that's been led astray, somebody that's discomforted, somebody that's just needing a little bit of extra assurance this morning. Whatever the need may be, oh God, Father, we pray that you would answer it through your blessed holy word and through the means of your confirmation of the Spirit. God, we pray these things in thy Son, Jesus Christ's holy name, that you would get all the glory. Amen and amen. This morning, Psalm 18 is so perfectly worded, such as I really don't have much else to do with it. There's not much else that I can really give to you that's special from just reading Psalm 18. And 
I really and genuinely hope as much as you're reading through Galatians, I recommend that to you. I hope that we're going to do that again. we got a heavy goal now. We had some goals that I thought were heavy and you blasted right through them. But this week now, if we're going to set it even higher, it's going to be a little bit of a bigger goal. Again, not for our benefit, but our, yes, for our benefit, but not for our glory, but for his glory are we doing these things. And surely that is what Psalm 18 finds itself to be. Now, yesterday I was talking about my discouragement. Part of the time I had this nice Bible that I was gifted when Terry and I were being wed. My parents gave it to me, and it's this chronological Bible. And those things are confusing if you've never read one. And they just get you all confused, and you're trying to read it. And I read the heading of this psalm, and I had been reading it, and I was trying to figure out where King David was talking about because he talked about his victory over Saul. Well, I know that 2 Samuel begins with that. 2 Samuel begins with the reality of King David's victory over Saul. But if you go about halfway through 1 Samuel, that's when 1 Samuel first tells us in that book, in 1 Samuel, we know that King David is going to be King David. We know that he's been anointed. We know that Saul was meant to be the man of God. The word of God was not coming as it needed to come in those days, and they were looking for a king, and they wanted King Saul, and Saul was ahead above every other, and Saul was the one that looked like he should be king. He's the one that looked like the world would expect him to look like, but here's the thing. We're not talking about the, what the world wanted. This is what the children of God wanted. This was not exactly what they should have wanted, but all the same as what they did want. Sometimes our wants do not check up and do not measure up with the Word of God. Just because we want it doesn't mean it's going to happen, and ouch, that hurts. I don't know about y'all, but I had to learn at some point that my want-tos don't want to always hurt me. If I don't get them, mom and dad had to teach me that. I never did get that four-wheeler. And I'm so glad I never did get that four-wheeler because years later, mother just looked out and won this little gator, and we all loved this gator. I didn't get it when I was young, but by the time I was in college is when it came along, and we all got to have great fun. I didn't get what I wanted, but the Lord sure did seem to supply something that was better. And that's exactly what happened with King Saul. King Saul did become God's man. King Saul was God's anointed man. The problem with King Saul was he was not obedient, and he did not run to God. The difference of King Saul and King David ultimately seems to be that, yes, King David too messed up, and we don't get too long in the reign of King David. Even as hopeful as we are in the reign of King David, we don't go too long before at least, I think it's in about chapter 11 or chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, to where David messes up royally with the sin of Bathsheba that we all know about. But it wasn't his only sin. What we find in the life of King David is, yes, he would sin against God, and yes, he was the imperfect man of God, the imperfect king of God. Yes, there was another king that was to come. But the difference between King Saul and King David was King David kept going back to God. King David never seemed to be giving up on God. Brother T.J. Cochran, a dear friend of mine, I've never forgotten him talking about it. He said that he was taught when he was really young not to run from God, but to run to God. My problem was I had the opposite, that I wanted to run from God. I wanted to run from. One time, my mama knows this story. Most of y'all probably heard this story. One time I broke one of mama's columns. So what did I do? I did the same thing that Adam and Eve did. I started trying to hide the evidence, and I tossed it under the porch, thinking, yeah, they'll never go back there. They'll never discover the broken column. And I got away with it for a hot minute. They just didn't know where it ever gone. It had been missing and then all of a sudden they found it. Every time I ever tried to hide something, it's like they always managed to find it at exactly the wrong time. Exactly the time that I had forgotten about it seems to be when they found it. All of these different things. My tendency was to hide from these things, to hide the evidences so that nobody would find it, and yet they always seemed to find it. King Saul kind of seemed to be the same way, that he would try to hide things from God. But King David, as much as he was imperfect, he got angry when things didn't go according to the will of God. 
He had a little bit of what we might would call righteous anger. So that even when the prophet Nathan comes to him and is confronting him, you recall the story about his sin with Bathsheba, that he's, he's just outright mad about this guy stealing the other man's sheep that had all these sheep, and yet he had to go and get that one sheep. He's outright mad at them until Nathan says, Thou art the man. Do you know what King David does? Does he run and hide? No. He falls down before God. He begins to confess his sin in Psalm 51. If you've never heard a good song, you could spend a lifetime in Psalm 51. But you know what? One of my favorite things about verse Psalm 51 is the last two verses. It's where in Psalm 51 he's confessed all of his sin. He said, the bones which thou hast broken, and against thee and thee alone have I sinned. And yes, he had done wrong things, and he had sinned against Bathsheba, but he knew the greatness of his sin ultimately was against God. King David knew that all of his sin, as much damage as he had done in this world, it was most worse against God himself. It was mostly before God himself, which he had confessed. He had done wrong things by any worldly standards, and yet it was by the godly standard which he had to do the most repentance of. But at the end of Psalm 51, he says, let me go and teach transgressors thy ways. And then he says, restore and begin the work again in Zion that you have begun. I love how Psalm 51 ends as he is just asking God, God, do the work again. God, keep doing the work. David is not done on the throne at that point. He has other life to live. He has other mistakes that are going to be made, and yet he is seeking to live before God. And when he does mess up, he does become before God. And yet even at the end of his life, things are not well with him. King David is, is not even able to heat his own body. He is not even able to be warm at that. They're bringing other means to warm him up. They're trying to use all worldly means. And yet David at the end of his life is having to go the way of everybody else that has ever gone before him. He's going to have to die because he is not God's perfect king. He knows that God is not going to leave his soul in hell. He knows he's not going to live his soul in corruption, as it says over there in Psalm 16. He knows that there is going to be a resurrection. I don't think King David knows all the details about it, but King David is assured that God is going to provide. God is going to be with him. The reason that King David is able to have that confidence is because he's been living this life. He's been living it all along. So now we go back to yesterday and my confusion, trying to figure out. It should be at the start of 2 Samuel, but it's not at the start of 2 Samuel. I'm like, where is this song? Finally, I had to go to my cheat code, and then I go to Matthew Henry and look at what does Matthew Henry have to say on this. By the way, if you ever have one single commentary on the whole Bible, I would recommend to you Matthew Henry's whole commentary. It's just a wonderful commentary. It's kind of what sometimes I call a little bit fluffy. It doesn't always have the greatest substance of the world by any means. But if you just had one that you could get your hands on, I would support to you Matthew Henry's commentary. So I go to Matthew Henry, and I finally figure out what I should have known all along. King David is not saying this at the middle of his life. King David is singing this song at the end of his life. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 22, it's basically the same words. It's the same psalm. It's just kind of, there's a few different language choices. There's a few different words presented here. But at the end, or toward the end of 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, King David is about to die. And this is when he is singing this song. But I'm confused by the heading because it's the same heading of, in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as well. It's that same heading that it says, To the chief musician, a song of David. Okay, I'm good with you there. The servant of the Lord. Got you there. Who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, and then he goes through the song. Well, when I'm reading that heading, I'm thinking, surely we're in 
1 Samuel chapter 1 or 2 over there. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, do you know what happens when King Saul has been killed? He kills the man that kills King Saul. Because King David had been struck in his heart. He said yeah, he knew that he was God's anointed. And he touched the hem of his garment. And he was struck down at that point so that he would not do such as that again. God was teaching David to respect God's order. Just because it had not come the time in which he would have it to come, he was to respect the order of God. He was to respect God's anointed. And when somebody finally killed Saul, who had been after King David to kill King David so many times and who had waged every bit of war that he could against King David, yet when King Saul dies, King David avenges his death. And if that's not enough, King David begins to sing a song about Saul and his son Jonathan, whom David loved. If it's not crazy enough that this man's been trying to kill him all along, then he begins to sing his praises in a song. I'm beginning to wonder about King David. I think he's living a life that people dream of. He's living a musical. All of a sudden, everybody's singing a song everywhere. We always mock musicals and how wouldn't it just be weird if people just broke out randomly in a song like that all the time? And then I remember the household I grew up in. My mother would break out in song all of the time. And we were over there this morning before services this morning. You know what she was doing as she was getting ready? We were sitting there with my dad. She was singing a song right there. She would start whistling, and then she started singing. And that's been that way all my life. Do you know what's going to happen if you come over to our house, mine and Mysterious house, and you stick around a while? I'm probably going to start singing. At some point, it's like all of a sudden, I mocked life for being a musical. And the next thing I know, it's just the music that's coming out of me. I've done a few funerals, not many, but a few one of them in particular for somebody I never met, somebody that I had no affiliation with, somebody that I was actually doing a favor for another pastor of. And yet I got introduced to her, and she was a lover of poetry. That's all that I remember about the lady is that's the one I remember. I remember her name, and I remember that she was a, she loved poetry. It's what she loved. I still have a copy of one of her books of poetry and some of my notes at the house. But I got to thinking of it as she had a poetic soul. She had a soul, she had a heart that was after God's own heart. Even as King David was a man after God's own heart. Beloved, there is something about the beauty of the earth that is displayed that should cause us to be moved by it. There ought to be. Some of you got to go on vacation. I hope y'all got to watch the sunrise or sunset at some point. That's just beautiful. And everybody in the world gets to enjoy that. Except for you as a child of God get to enjoy it knowing that you know the Creator. Knowing that you know every element of Him. And being able to rest in Him. Y'all, that ought to cause you to break out the song. You may not sing out loud like me and my mother. Maybe Miss Terry will join in sometimes. You may not break out in the song like we do, but there ought to be a song in your heart. It ought to be that when God's anointed died, even though you thought you had finally won the victory, all King David could do was rest in God. All King David could do was to begin to sing the praises of God. Not of Saul and Jonathan, but the praises of God. And thanking God for them. So surely I thought that's when King David was writing this song. So when my chronological Bible didn't give me Psalm 18, and then I went over to the section that had the rest of the Psalms, and I couldn't find it in there. I was confused. So I turned to my friend Matthew Henry, and I said to him, okay, Matthew, tell me where this is. And finally I get the picture. This is at the end of King David's life. It amazes me that King David brought into the fact that he said that it was when he had had his victory over all of his enemies and over Saul. It amazes me that the song that King David is singing at the end of his life. That even the final victory with Saul was not given unto the end of David's life. This final beautiful song is recorded at the end of David's life when he's about to die. Beloved, the most beautiful song you should ever sing is at the end of your life. 
y'all to have some beautiful songs in between. Look at all the poetry, all the psalms, and all the songs that King David is directly responsible for. He didn't write every one of them in psalms, but he wrote so, so many of them in the book of psalms. Look at the ones that he wrote. Your life ought to be found displaying the glory of God in word and in deed and in song and everything else. There ought to be that truly your life is a little bit like a musical. But I pray that every one of you, every one of us, would be looking toward the end of our life. Some of you are closer than what I am, but we don't know the day that we show up. Things happen unexpectedly. Things pop up that we never would have imagined. And God takes one home much sooner than we would have ever thought about. But if we all go by the natural way, I should have a few more good years. I will have a lot more good years before I'm called home to be with the Lord. If we go what we call the natural way, if we go the way of general life, I should have a lot more years. Some of you are a lot closer. But I wonder, are we with King David able to sing many songs? Are we with able with King David that we have run from God in many times, that we have been imperfect from him many times? Are we able to recognize that every enemy we've ever faced, every battle we have ever faced, God has been the victor in all of it? Are you able to sing with King David? Because if you're going to sing it at the end of the life, you must be singing it now at the start of your life. I will love the Lord, O Lord, my strength. Are you able to work through? I'm not going to read through every 50 of these verses again, though it would be beneficial to us just to hear it again. Beloved, are you able to sing the courses here? Do you see how David moves, that David begins talking about how God has directly worked in his, how he is asking God to work in his life, and now he's communicating God, but the next thing you know, he's talking about the judgment of God, God coming in darkness, and even David seems to have entered into this darkness in his life, and at some point David was in some of the darkest days that any of us could ever have imagined, and yet he is saying God came in, and though God was using the darkness as a means of judgment, God was the one that brought light into his life. Would God use darkness in your life in order that he might shine through and bring the true light into your life? I submit to you that yes, he would. That even God, I love the story my grandfather tells, that he said that God, somebody said that God would not send an evil spirit unto a man. Even the Bible says that God sent us an evil spirit unto a man. God will use some odd means and some odd ways to achieve his purposes. I may not always understand that, but I know that my hope and my trust is in What's true about the end of King David's life? He's had a pretty good life. He's had a life. He's run from God many times. He's not been on the throne more than he has been on the throne in his life. Between his having to run from Saul, even though he had been anointed to be king. And even when he has been anointed king, he has to run from his own son, Absalom, who has overthrown the heart. Who has won the hearts of the people and has overthrown the throne in many ways. King David just left him flees. It never says that King David was supposed to flee. It just says King David did flee. And he enters into darkness again. There has a sword that has entered into the house of David because of David's own sin. And yet David's son is going to rule on the throne of God. But it's a divided kingdom even when Solomon does rule. It's a united kingdom under Solomon. It's not split yet, but the warring factions within are divided. And surely at the end of King David's life, he knows these things. Surely by the end of it, he knows that there's going to be a sword in his house the rest of his life. There's going to be some form of a division within the rest of his life. But we also know that in Psalm 18, how he ends it. We know that in verse 50, he says, Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and sheweth mercy to his anointed. To David and his seed forevermore. Do you remember how in Galatians chapter 3, we were dealing with the seed of Abraham? And that he said, Not as unto seeds as of many, but as a seed as unto one. Can I tell you that if Paul is teaching us that is how that we are supposed to read the Abrahamic covenant, that that is also how we should be understanding how to read the Davidic covenant? 
that even though he promised Abraham's seed, singular, that it was going to be through the seed of Abraham, singular, that was going to reign upon the throne for all of eternity, that was going to be the one that ultimately and finally delivered his people, that ultimately brought about the final salvation, that the hope that King David have is not in his physical offspring in this natural order, be it Solomon, be it Solomon's sons, or any of those. No, it was looking forward to the one that is Christ Jesus himself. That was the final hope that David had. The reason that David, even though he sees the divided hearts of the people, even in much of his kingdom, the reason that at the end of his life, he is able to sing this beautiful, magnificent song is because it is Jesus that is on the throne. Why are we able to sing this morning, praise him, praise him? Jesus, our blessed redeemer. Why are we able to sing? I submit to you that this morning, some weeks we hit good lyrics. Some weeks we don't hit as good lyrics. We're always striving. But y'all go back and listen to every song we sung this morning. I don't know if there was a bad lyric in any of the songs we sang this morning. Just how they delivered. And how I loved that song, How the Glory Belongs to God. I wish I could sing it from memory. But he says, and in that day when we stand before God, long perfected at his throne. Just to imagine the day that we're going to stand perfected at his throne. It's not because King David's on the throne. It's not because Abraham's on the throne. But it's because King Jesus is on the throne. It's because of every promise that King David knew that was going to come to pass. He knew that it was going to come to pass in his city. I don't know if David knew that it was going to be Jesus. I don't know if David knew all those details. As a matter of fact, I kind of think David did. But I think he had enough trust in the Lord to know that the Lord was going to work it all out that he knew that God was going to work according to his promise. Y'all, we know that our hope is in Jesus. Can I tell you that we don't know how the end of our life is going to be? We don't know how God's going to wrap all this up. He might come back tomorrow. He might wait another 2,000 years. Y'all, I don't know the mind of God. I don't know when God's coming back. I don't know how God's going to wrap this up. But do you know what I do know in the meantime? We need to be living as King David lived. We need to know that as King David was talking about how he lived in righteousness and how he lived in cleanness of heart and all of these different things and that how he lived with the pure, but if he, God shows himself pure to those that are pure, but he shows himself forward to those that are forward and how David walks through all of those elements. Beloved, how we live matters in this present world. Yes, Jesus is coming back, but yes, there is a work to be done in between. And yes, there's a generation to pass these truths on to that we should be doing day in and day out this morning I have nothing better to offer you than trying to give you a little bit of the history behind Psalm 18 and I encourage you this week to go home and read go home and meditate on it for a little while and ask that these same truths would be burned into your hearts even as they were burned into the heart of King David that you would have that blessed assurance that we sang about this morning for now and in eternity you truly will have that blessed assurance, that blessed assurance every moment of eternity let us pray Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessed holy word, God, that we get to read a portion of and celebrate in this morning, oh God. We pray that you take it, graft it in our hearts and our minds, that it will bring forth fruit in this new season, oh God. Lord, we just rest these things and trust them in you, that we would praise you always. In thy son, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. But we know this, and we have the confidence that in that day we're going to look like the rest of the world may be blessed. The rest of the world may actually look like they're more than the right than what we are. And yet we know that at the end of it all, we shall be like him. And that's the day that we're looking forward to. 
For an unbeliever, they don't know this. They don't know what it is to look like the image of God. Would you show them the image of God? Would you show them what the image of God looks like? Would your life be matching and conforming with the Word of God so much and the will of God so much that when somebody that is an unbeliever looks on your life, would they see that they need to be conformed to that image? Believer, do you know that you need to be reconformed to that image? Do you know that there are times that as King David, King David's doing well in, in, in Psalm 17, the first part of it. He's doing really well. He's really living for God. But we know that King David messed up at points in his life too. We know that he's asking to be the apple of the eye of the Lord. And sure, at times that refers to David as even the apple of the Lord. We know the way that David dwelt with the Lord. And yet he still messed up. There are times that we need to be reminded that we're supposed to be in the image of Christ. That he is making us in the likeness of his image. Beloved, we come down to the church. It's our responsibility to be instructing others on how to be conformed to the image of Christ. We have the duty and the responsibility of discipleship. We have the duty that we read every single week that we come together and we read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We read it every single week because it is evangelical in nature and it is disciplical in nature. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it up for this morning on the purpose of this illustration. It's disciplical in nature. It makes disciples is what it does. It talks to others about Jesus. It communicates the truth of the word of God. But then it takes them under their wing, even as King David is asking God to take him under his wing, to David to enter under the wing of God. That's what we're doing with others. That's the responsibility of the church. He has left us here to be used in other people's lives so that they may be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We should be the barometers of those truths, helping somebody along. That when they mess up, do you know what we do? We just love them. We bring them back into the fold. Now, we don't let sin go unchecked. That's not what it's about. But when somebody has messed up and they repent of the sin and they come back to the church, we need to take them back in. Sometimes the church just writes them off as if it's not. It's interesting. In the last conference, we adopted language about what we're going to do with membership and just walk away. And, beloved, all that I know to do when somebody just walks away is to just let them walk away. There's not much else we can do. We're going to go to them. We're going to try to keep them from going away. We're going to contact them. We're going to do things in order to reach out to them. We're not just letting them go. But, beloved, there's only so far that you can go. When somebody just walks away, there's a point that comes that you can't do anything else about it. They're gone. We can't do anything else with them until they come back. But, beloved, let us not be so harsh and be like, you walked away, you're never welcome back. Oh, no, beloved. If somebody were to walk away for a season but then wants to come back and then finds themselves repentant before God and is trying to come back into the fold, we always let them back in. Jesus is always searching for the lost sheep. He's always welcoming them back into the fold. He's always caring for the wholeness of the flock. We welcome them back in is what we should be doing. For, beloved, all of us need each other. None of us are able to walk this perfectly by ourselves. We must live intentionally and dependently on God, knowing that he is conforming us to the likeness of Christ in us. It's an us thing, not just a you thing or just a me thing. It's an us thing. And praise God, one day we shall perfectly be like him in that day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth of your word. We pray that you again, that you, Lord, would engraft it into us that it will bring forth fruit in this new season of life. Lord, we're thankful that We've ever been able to pray like King David, oh God. We can certainly pray with him that you will rule over the enemies, that you will triumph, that God, though they may seem to succeed in this world, that God, that's where their hope ends, but that our hope continues in you for all of eternity. We pray to rest in you, to rest that one day we shall awake and we shall rest.